Let's just quote NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman from last Tuesday as reported by Athletics Arpon Basu. To quote Bettman, nobody tanks because we have a weighted lottery. You're not going to lose games to increase your odds by a couple of percentage points. And frankly, suggesting tanking, I believe, is inconsistent with the professionalism that our players and our coaches have. Nobody tanks. Our players and coaches do their best to win. End quote. And in concurrence with 32 Thoughts podcast, Elliot Friedman, factually Batman can say that, especially keeping the focus on the players and coaches aspect and the draft lottery in the NHL does exist. All facts, not disputable. And tanking does happen as fellow 32 Thoughts podcast partner, Jeff Merrick, sneaky interjection accurately pointed out, mentioning that it happens in the off-season roster construction. GMs affect a team's ability to win with what players they give a coach to play with and overall how competitive the team can be comparative to what is required for them to be. Not disputable as well. That distinction is good for hockey. Players and coaches playing are trying to win. Organizations and GMs can position themselves to make that more difficult to do. Tanking happens, but not from the participants playing, nor the coaches. That balance with the draft lottery, as Bettman said, just because you may finish with the worst record in the league, you've got something like a 75% chance that you're not going to get the first pick. Bettman can say that. Yet all 16 teams who fail to qualify for the playoffs will be entered into the lottery. An adjustment to the 2021 format prevents teams from moving up more than 10 spots. So just missing the playoffs does take you out of getting the first overall pick. The odds, 32nd spot, 18.5%. 31st spot, 13.5%. 30th spot, 11.5%, 29th, 9.5%, and 28th, 8.5% odds. Central Division team, Chicago 31st, and Arizona 29th included in those bottom five NHL teams because of GM roster construction, designed to be in that bottom five mix purposely. Eastern Conference, Columbus currently holds a 32nd league spot. And they play on January 31st, still before the All-Star break. It does still keep the Breaking Bad Central Division tanking twosome in the last five-team group. And game-by-game covering of Arizona and Chicago becomes difficult. The teams play on the ice afterthoughts, save for identifying a core player piece that might see the other side of a rebuild or once some top drafted prospects emerge as a result of the process for example watching dylan gunther play this year pro a pick through the tanking arizona process losing especially in the year generational talent connor bedard is a reward makes sense but it's hard for fans to sit in the stands for and to find takeaways and talking points to cover it. Chicago and Arizona should have been allowed to wear their reverse retros all season long. Symbolmatic of the reverse results mantra. Heck, the team should have put a rebuild reminder on their respective reverse retro jerseys when they were made. The Central Division has six teams of a max five able to, under perfect conditions, make the Western Conference playoffs. The division has two teams that we knew from GM roster construction weren't promising their fans a playoff appearance and still here i am trying to cover all eight teams find something to talk about with the tank worthy two included when winning is counterproductive but losing 
all the time is hard, even for Bedard's future reward viewing. Here's the Central Division's healthy scratch pairing of Arizona and Chicago, and what will be a now monthly-ish look going forward. This will get the teams up to the All-Star break, and I will return to them early March at the trade deadline, and again at the end of the year. In Gary Bettman's NHL, each team could miss the playoffs and raise participation banners from the previous season, right? Because nobody tanks Gary. To borrow one of Bettman's favorite dislike terms, yes, traditional and non-traditional hockey markets alike, in fact, do. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast and the all-star Breaking Bad for Bedard edition. Featuring Arizona and Chicago of the Central Division, I'm your NHL outsider and Central Division expert, Tim Bigelow. At the last look, Chicago was bringing up the NHL bottom while Arizona was edging close to near 500 point percentage relevancy. However, that auto-corrected itself as it's Chicago who has played reasonably better of late, while Arizona comparatively hasn't. The only division fun fact as it relates to goals against Arizona's 177, one more than Chicago's 176, might in fact be that at 181, St. Louis continues to have divisionally allowed the most goals against. The fun fact being it isn't one of Arizona or Chicago with the worst goals against. Entering Sunday's NHL games, because some teams in the NHL are officially at the All-Star break, yet others still play, in goals for Chicago as anticipated they would have difficulty doing before the season started with their tankable roster construction and scoring goals has 118 and that is last in the nhl in goals for the combined goal differential of minus 104 for arizona and chicago minus 46 arizona and minus 58 chicago individually is all accounts bad for both pacific division anaheim entered the all-star break at minus 80 goal differential Columbus was also at minus 66. The Central Division tankable twosome aren't worse than the NHL in that metric. That translates directly to a team's win-loss record significantly, I think, statistically. As for Breaking Bad, it probably made you think of the popular TV crime drama series. Maybe you watched it, maybe you didn't, but it might be something to watch rather than following Chicago or Arizona the rest of the way out this season. I mean, I probably personally rewatch Money Heist as far as show recommendations go. Yet in this case, one doesn't really have to set the bar too high even on the show recommendations to watch instead of Arizona and Chicago teams' season games this year. That TV show list, maybe we should do a Twitter poll, uh, doesn't require exceptional status because the teams aren't playoff worthy, let alone elite, right? It'd just be a mediocre show recommendation. Arizona's 11 points back of struggling St. Louis. Arizona, with two more games played, is four points up on Chicago. Arizona is 3-6-1 since the last look. 16-28-6-38 points in 50 games played. 7th in the Central Division, 380-point percentage, Arizona's game recaps. 
Former Yote, Ottawa's Derek Brassard snapped front power play goal that stood after an Arizona coaches challenge goal interference review. The second Ottawa goal for a 2-0 Ottawa lead through 20. Arizona rookie Dylan Gunther's far side post and in from the top of the circle power play goal. A minute 15 seconds to the game's midpoint put Arizona on the scoreboard. Ottawa get a late second period former Blackhawk Alec Debrinket Ottawa goal for a 3-1 lead through 40. Teams trade third period tallies twice beginning with Arizona. 3.45 in, Arizona's loss in Krause's net front tap goal off the forecheck. 2.44 left, Arizona's Barrett Heaton's slot backhander goal finds its way through the five hole. Ottawa's two goals, including an empty netter hand, Arizona 5-3 loss at home. Arizona's 2-1 road loss to Divisional Minnesota is covered in the Minnesota segment, and Arizona's 2-1 road loss to Divisional Winnipeg is covered in the Winnipeg segment, both in the January 21st, the grind of January, a cup of boldy blend edition. Scoreless first, a Detroit redirection power play goal a minute 26 seconds to the game's midpoint open scoring. Arizona's Nick Bukestad's goal off a big rebound a minute 9 seconds after to the game's midpoint makes it 1-all through 40. Detroit get two goals 58 seconds apart by 549 of the third. Former Blackhawk Detroit Pius Suter and former Blue Detroit's David Perron's tic-tac goal the scorers. Arizona's Travis Boyd's posted in blocker side goal off the rush, seven seconds shy of a minute after, and Arizona's Dylan Gunther's rebound goal as it comes to the slot after Lawson Krause rings the short side post exactly a minute after that, ties it, three all after three. Three on three OT sells nothing as Arizona's Clayton Keller is denied despite operating in the slot like it was a phone booth. Arizona in the shootout take a 4-3 home shootout win. Former Avs and Coyotes goalie Darcy Kemper makes 26 saves for his fish shutout of the year. Former first overall Arizona draft pick and former Blackhawk Washington's Dylan Strom bookends the scoring with two goals, one in the first, the other in the third, while Washington get two late with less than two and a half left in the middle frame including a power play goal and also have a goal taken off the scoreboard for goalie interference after a successful coach challenge by Arizona before the game's midpoint. Yotes fail to score as in the third Shane Gossespierre's point shot goes off of Barrett Hayton's foot and in a minute 39 seconds but after review it is called back for offside on the Arizona offensive zone entry. Arizona fall four to nothing at home. Arizona's four nothing divisional road loss to Dallas game recap is going to be in the next Dallas segment of that team's upcoming pods coverage to the all-star break. Arizona's Dylan Gunther needs just a minute 59 seconds to open scoring a Nick Bukestad backhand pass off the forecheck to the slot put short side roof by Gunther. Arizona up 1-0 after 1. It's a minute 39 seconds into the second that Arizona's Clayton Keller's high slot goal off of the cycle. That's followed by former Coyote Vegas's Phil Kessel's power play goal 57 seconds to the game's midpoint to make it 2-1 Arizona through 40. Arizona Keller's second goal far side shelf from the slot a minute 10 seconds to the third's midpoint and Keller completing his hat trick with four minutes eight seconds left in the third with an empty net goal. Arizona 4-1 home win. 
Anaheim get the lone goal off the rush late with two minutes, 23 seconds left in the first to have a 1-0 lead after one. 3.34 into the second, a delayed penalty, end-to-end short side goal by Anaheim, followed by an Anaheim power play goal 45 seconds after on an Arizona five-minute major penalty to defenseman Yusuf Valamaki for slashing, and it's a 3-0 Anaheim lead through 40. Anaheim bookend goals in the third, while Arizona, 44 seconds past the third midpoint, get their first of two goals. Arizona's Barrett Hayton steals it in the Anaheim defensive zone for a backhand roof goal in alone. And 10 seconds shy of four minutes after, Arizona's Nick Schmaltz off the pad net front rebound power play goal tap in before an Anaheim empty net goal as Arizona lose at home 5-2. Arizona's 5-0 divisional home win to St. Louis game recap is in the next St. Louis segment of that team's upcoming podcast to get us up to the All-Star break. Arizona's Nick Ritchie's goal with 3.39 left in the first open scoring as Arizona keep the puck in at the offensive zone blue line, get it low behind the net to Christian Fisher, who backhands it into the slot for Ritchie DeBury for a 1-0 Arizona lead after one. 2.32 after the game's midpoint, Anaheim get the equalizer goal, short side from the slot, off the cycle, off an offensive zone faceoff draw win that has the teams tied at 1 through 2. The third stays scoreless. In overtime, Arizona's Jacob Chikrin drives to the paint and looks to have the open net, but Anaheim goalie John Gibson slides across with his glove to preserve the game. Anaheim get the OT game-winning goal with 126 left on an Arizona defensive zone turnover to hand Arizona a 2-1 road overtime loss. Arizona defenseman Shane Gossespierre is expected to miss four to six weeks with an upper body injury that occurred in the Tuesday first game covered versus Anaheim. Arizona announced Thursday that's kept Gossespierre out of Arizona's last two games as well. The timeline based on Thursday would have Gossa Spare back as early as February 23rd, but as late as March the 9th, near a full week after the NHL trade deadline. Ghost in 48 games played has 9 goals, 29 points, and is second only to Jacob Chikrin in time on ice as Gossa Spare's average 22 minutes, 38 seconds per game. The question is, does the injury affect Arizona's potential return in a trade if they can now move the pending unrestricted free agent, 29-year-old, while he's currently injured and at best may get a week's worth of games before the deadline to play if he is on the early end of that recovery timeline? He's in the final year of his $4.5 million per deal. If Jacob Chikrin ever is traded, we might also talk about it, but he could very well not move. His trade value is improved since his return to play. Five goals, 25 points in 34 games played, 23 minutes, five seconds average time on ice per game to lead Arizona. Chikrin has this and two additional team-friendly contract years at a $4.6 million cap hit. GM Armstrong has stuck to the guns on what he wants in return. The rest of the league has not been wanting to ante up to make the deal happen. Restricted free agent left-hand defenseman, early season waiver wire pickup from Calgary, 24-year-old Yusuf Valamaki signed a one-year, one million contract extension for next year. Contract deals as listed by Cat Friendly. Arizona never does it. 
Valamaki in pay will in fact decrease 550k from his current two-year deal that is expiring. If one or both of Gossespierre or Chikrin were traded, it would likely make possible Arizona GM Bill Armstrong obtaining a salary dump defense contract in a separate deal, possibly at the deadline or at the NHL draft, if being the key word on Gossespierre and Chikrin. Forward Clayton Keller's recent hat trick moved him into the goal team lead with 18. 41 points in 50 games played also leads Arizona. Forward Lawson Krauss missed four games during our games covered. He played versus Detroit and returned versus St. Louis. Those two, if Arizona had forwards, I'd consider untouchable, but they will be in rumors heading up to the deadline, and those forwards will be asked about. Also mentioned recently, 900K, one-year, soon-to-be-unrestricted free agent, Nick Bukestad, a forward depth player of trade value. 11 goals, 21 points in 50 games played, though that is in part from him playing up the lineup with Arizona than in a more limited bottom six role that he would likely take on if traded to a contending team. It's an intriguing possibility. In fact, in Arizona's case, with the 25 and under core, I think most players wouldn't be moved, save for Chikrin if GM Armstrong gets the return he wants, and because Chikrin asked to be traded. The other name, Goli Karelvamelka, it's not substantive on Arizona wanting or even considering moving him. He just has played good enough in net especially as goal saved above expected as a major reason that teams in need of an improvement at goalie have to have looked into Vimelka and what it would take to acquire him from Arizona. Basically, anyone 26 and up to me could be moved from Arizona. Anyone 25 and under won't be moved. So if you're looking to find a yote to add to your favorite team at the deadline, that's a good age of player guideline as your best bet on the actual likelihood. Now, we will see if anything does happen as it relates to Arizona. I would think taking on bad contracts or storing salary for draft picks, helping other teams make deals, might be more what this year's deadline for Arizona looks like than roster players moving on, especially now that Goss Despair has to return from injury. Arizona's division had dead record 2-6-2. Arizona begins post-All-Star break play February 6th home to Divisional Minnesota. Three more on the road versus Divisional Team Chicago, St. Louis, and Nashville. Four against non-Division teams, Tampa Bay home, LA away, home to Columbus, Calgary to finish February, home to Divisional Nashville, and Chicago. One March road game in Divisional Dallas prior to the March 3rd, 3 p.m. NHL trade deadline. A division-heavy schedule for Arizona, seven of the next 11 games, and 11 of the Yotes' next 17 versus Central Division rivals. Chicago posted a winning 5-4-0 record since we last checked, improving to 15-29-4-34 points in 48 games played. Yeah, that's a third of their wins, just in nine games. Eighth in the Central Division, a 354-point percentage. In the NHL, only Columbus, 33 points in two more games played, and one more game played before the All-Star break to come, is below Chicago. Chicago's game recaps. Chicago's 3-2 home win over Divisional Colorado. 
The game recap is in Thursday's The Grind of January as Second Cup and Fair Trade Edition. Chicago's Jonathan Taves' pass to the net front becomes a goal as it goes in off former Dallas Star Seattle defenseman Jamie Alexiak 20 seconds to 5 minutes into the first. Game is tied up, but Seattle add 5 more in the first, including former Av Andre Burakovsky and Pred Ellie Tovalin goals that had, I'm pretty sure, Seattle's equipment manager included on the score sheet by the end of the first. 6-1 Seattle after one. Chicago goalie Peter Morozik, four goals against, one save. Didn't last the period in net. 45 seconds past the game's midpoint. Chicago rookie defenseman Isaac Phillips jumps up off the rush to flip a far side backhander for his first NHL goal. The lone middle frame marker and a Seattle 6-2 score through 40. 51 seconds in, Chicago's Max Domi's from the high circle power play goal has Seattle respond with two quick goals less than two minutes after. A garbage time Chicago Taylor Radish power play goal with 3-10 left and a Patrick Kane goal with 15 seconds makes it an 8-5 home loss for Chicago. The big loser, the late Chicago surge makes Chicago goalie in relief Alex Stalock with 21 saves, four goals against the goalie of record tagged unrightfully with the loss. Chicago defenseman Connor Murphy's pinch slot roof glove goal a minute 19 seconds into the first midpoint opens scoring. Buffalo get two goals in the back half of the first, the second with seven seconds left for a 2-1 lead after 20. A Buffalo backhand breakaway shorthanded goal 6-21 into the second makes it 3-1 Buffalo through 40. 134 into the third, Chicago's Philip Kurashev's net front tip goal and Seth Jones first of the night. A point shot through Tyler Johnson's net front screen with a foot in the paint with 57 seconds left in the third. Forces overtime. By the way, I've seen when that's been challenged, the goal not count. But it wasn't challenged. The goal counts. It's Chicago Seth Jones' second of the game. A two-on-one backhand five-hole goal, 2.24 into overtime, that gives Chicago a 4-3 overtime home win. Philadelphia opens scoring a minute, eight seconds into the first midpoint, nine seconds after. Chicago's Andreas Athanasiu, the Philly defense didn't see use. Backhand, forehand, breakaway, deep goal, looks to tie it up. After review, it is determined he was offside. The linesmen didn't see you before getting the pass. one nothing lead Philadelphia after one. Chicago's Jonathan Taves' far side high tip goal on a Seth Jones point shot nine seconds to the game's midpoint. And Reese Johnson's blocker side goal with four minutes, nine seconds left in the middle frame off of a Philly defensive zone turnover has Chicago up 2-1 through 40. It takes Chicago's Tyler Johnson 35 seconds to score on a rebound on the 3-on-2 off the rush in the third. Chicago's Philip Kurashev adds an empty net goal with 42 seconds left for a 4-1 Chicago win. Chicago's 5-3 divisional road win to St. Louis game recap is going to be in the upcoming St. Louis segment of that team's upcoming pod coverage to the All-Star break. L.A. opened scoring 31 seconds into the first midpoint on the rebound after former Wild L.A.'s Kevin Fiala's breakaway was stopped for a 1-0 lead after 1. 6-0-7 into the second and L.A. off the cycle goal puts the Kings up 2-0 through 40 minutes with the Apple Fialas. With 3.15 left in the third, Chicago's Ian Mitchell's high slot short side goal for his first of the year. He had several two years ago, but Chicago fall 2-1 at home. 
Chicago's Patrick Kane's goal from distance off the cycle through traffic roof with 2 minutes 11 seconds left in the first open scoring and a Chicago 1-0 lead after one. Vancouver bookend goals in the second, 7.08, in on a rebound short side with Chicago's Sean Lafferty's off the rush cutting to the middle, five-hole goal, four seconds shy of five minutes after before Vancouver at another goal. A tip in the paint with 4.13 left in the middle frame to tie it at two through two. Three Vancouver goals all in the back half of the third with former Blue Vancouver's Dakota Joshua's going to the net picking up the game-winning goal. 34 seconds after an empty net goal from Vancouver's defensive zone as Chicago lose 5-2 on the road in Vancouver head coach Rick Tockett's first game behind the bench. He, of course, formerly coached Arizona last before his TNT stuff. Chicago's Taylor Radish's goal short side from the high circle off the cycle with 2.13 left in the first is matched by a Calgary goal with 28 seconds left for it to be tied at one after one. Chicago net three second period goals, 21 seconds to the game's midpoint. Boris Kachuk's wrister from distance goal through traffic. Jason Dickinson's forehand lifted goal in alone on a given goal with Patrick Kane with 3.51 to go. And Sean Lafferty's finishing a two-on-one with Colin Blackwell for a goal 32 seconds after for a 4-1 Chicago lead through 40. Chicago's Connor Murphy adds an empty net goal in the final 43 seconds of the third, and Chicago win 5-1 on the road. It's former Avs draft pick Edmonton's Tyson Berry's power play goal 5-10 into the first on Edmonton's first shot on goal to put Edmonton up 1-0 after one. Chicago's Jason Dickinson in alone off the rush over the pad under the blocker goal 5-25 into the second ties it. Edmonton scored the next four goals in the middle frame starting with a power play goal a minute 12 seconds after to be up 5-1 through two. Chicago bookend scoring in the third. Jonathan Taze five-hole tip top of the paint power play goal. 8.29 in, answered by an Edmonton goal 12 seconds after. Edmonton get another goal in the back half, banked off of Chicago defenseman Seth Jones, a low net front in front of his own net, and it goes in as he tries to sweep it out quickly out of the net. Horn sounds, good goal. Chicago's Taylor Radish's drive to the net for a forehand tuck goal with 5.13 left isn't enough as Chicago fall on the road 7-3. Chicago surprisingly had a pair of three-game win streaks in the month of January, but finished the month losing three of four. The underwhelming three-way tie for team leader in Chicago in goals with 14 is Max Domi, Jonathan Taves, and Taylor Radish. Andre Athanasiu at 10 goals is a lone other in double digits. No one is a point-per-game point-production player, although Patrick Kane is the closest, while Domi, by a point, leads Chicago in points. If not derailed by injuries throughout the campaign, goalie Alex Stalick with a 6-6-1-500 record has been Chicago's best goalie. Chicago goalie Jackson Stober is undefeated in two games played as the fifth goalie Chicago has used to this point of the season. If I'm counting correctly, hopefully not six. Chicago picking up wins over Pacific Division Calgary that could be potentially in the Western Conference wildcard mix was good for everyone else in the division. Not so good for finishing last for Chicago. Most of the talk is what three-time cup winners Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves decide to do as they have control at the deadline. And what, if anything else, is of value to move player-wise? 
And if anything, I'm eased early in the year, and as the year goes on with no deals, I'm having a hard time believing that at the deadline a ton does happen. And yet I've heard interest in Chicago D-men that have term, Connor Murphy and Jake McCabe, additionally to the cup-winning duel. Domi, of course, has his name out there. We won't talk about Athanasiu because, quite honestly, I wanted him in the division because he's just a fun guy to have in the game recaps. I've maintained Taylor Radish's this year's Brandon Hagel's equivalent. Actually, said it before the season started. A player given an elevated top six role that is producing well as good in goal production as anyone in Chicago this year is. And he has a contract that's near to the NHL minimum. It's a player, a team in a rebuild, given Radish's age, ought to keep. Of course, I said that of Hegel before he was dealt. Here's what I do know. I don't think like Chicago GM Kyle Davidson. I wouldn't have rebuilt this team this way. Meaning trades already made, I wouldn't have made them. So to guess what Davidson does do is probably thinking of what I would least likely do. I'd keep Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze because you either have won Stanley Cups or you haven't. They have. That's valuable to all the players you're going to be developing. Kirby Doc, Alex DeBrinkett, Pius Suter, Brandon Hagel, so not Taylor Radish because I'd still have Hagel, Alex Nylander, Nikita Zadorov, and Adam Boquist would still be in Chicago. That, if you were GM for a day, basically wouldn't allow a person to undo several years of deals required to realter the team's course, proving how pointless an exercise it is. Now, of what remains, in addition to the cup duel, Kane and Taves. Keep Connor Murphy, Taylor Radish, Jason Dickinson, Caleb Jones, and Ian Mitchell. Of that list, hopefully... All are still Blackhawks post-deadline. More likely, it's more of that list I just made than other Chicago players out there that are traded away. I'm not guessing what GM Davidson does, but again, it usually is not what I would do. So there's my problem. Don't want to move Chicago player list. And let's see how much more stripped away a current build-around core Chicago has of my list that remains post-deadline. Is Chicago going to house a salary dump contract for a team or house salary as a middle team in a three-way deal? And remember, Chicago can only retain salary on three players total with both Kane and Taves expected to have to be if they want to move and are moved, which means you can't then also retain on both McCabe and Murphy in additional deals. So I expect a lot more talk than what actually happens. Chicago fans are miffed at forward prospect Lucas Reichel being sent back down to the AHL after collecting a goal, three points in four games played, while GM Davidson defended the decision to the media on the development curve plan, yada yada, whatever he said. Reichel, a point-per-game player in the AHL, 39 points in 39 games played, is a better forward option than, well, a lot of Chicago's current NHL roster that simply doesn't even have enough top six value players for the team's top six presently at full health. And as for the development argument, when Reichel is on a point per game in the American Hockey League as he is, he has earned the right, and most times that's the best indication a player is ready to develop at the NHL now because that's when teams correctly let top prospects make that upward move. 
Chicago's division head-to-head record is 1-9-1. Chicago begins play after the All-Star break home to Anaheim on Tuesday, February 7th, home Friday to Divisional Arizona, and the next night in Divisional Winnipeg to start a four-game road trip in Canada. Chicago returns home for two, including Vegas, play in Divisional Dallas on another four-game road trip to finish out February in Divisional Arizona. A home game versus Divisional Dallas, who hit the road after a home game versus Arizona the night prior, that leads up to the trade deadline for both division teams the night before the March 3rd, 3 p.m. deadline day. Pacific Division comparable healthy scratch pair remains San Jose and Anaheim. San Jose's 41 points in 51 games played has them the lone bottom four Western Conference team with an over 400 point percentage at 402. San Jose's played a game more than both Arizona and Anaheim and three more than Chicago. It's late February till San Jose plays the Central Division against Nashville and Chicago before a game in March versus St. Louis the night before the deadline day. After the deadline, San Jose play a game then have four consecutive games versus the Central Division. San Jose on the road in Winnipeg, Colorado, and St. Louis, then home to play Minnesota. Anaheim, with 37 points in 50 games played, is a point back of Arizona, having gained three of four points head-to-head. However, Arizona did pick up the not-needed loser point in the last game to the All-Star break, or the teams would be tied in points. Anaheim, three points ahead of Chicago. Anaheim has played two more games played than Chicago. Anaheim plays Dallas and Chicago right out of the All-Star break on a back-to-back and meet Chicago in the last game in February. It's mid-March post-trade deadline before Anaheim play another Central Division team, that being Nashville. Most likely, it's just past the March 3rd, 3 p.m. NHL trade deadline or shortly thereafter when I look at Arizona and Chicago again. In fact, if you think about it, there's not a pressing need to as players will move out, but really what the teams gain is futures or draft picks. We'll look at if players are moved at the deadline from the rosters while catching up on the games played sometime after the deadline. Next up with the podcast is to catch up to the All-Star break games for all the Central Division teams in reverse standings order, likely a needed Nashville and St. Louis pairing because they're the ones that we need to catch up on most. Then the division top four, Dallas, Winnipeg, Minnesota, and Colorado in a podcast together that were more recently covered of the six teams ahead of Arizona and Chicago. When play resumes post-All-Star break, after the next two pods, I will take the division top six into two groups of three until the trade deadline, then put out a one catch-up month look at the tankable division twosome Arizona and Chicago, or until something else changes those sound-like-good-thought-out podcast plans. Thank you for listening. I mean, thank you for listening. And don't forget, send some Twitter ads on mediocre TV shows, if you have time. <laughs>